This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Mysick and Steve Ojello. Hey, this is Steve Ojello, and I'm here with John Mysick. How's it going, Steve? Going well, John. In the 80s, mixtapes were an important part of everyday culture. Today, John and I dig into the bins and dust off a couple more of our original mixtapes from the 80s that we're going to share. This is going to be a lot of fun, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John. We made mixtapes in the 80s for long car rides, vacations, cruising in the car, long runs outside with the Walkman on, and those were the ones that we made for ourselves. It was seen as the ultimate form of flattery when you made a mixtape for someone that you had a crush on or to commemorate a dating anniversary. So it was a multi-purpose tool. You and I have discussed this topic before, but I'm excited to hear any additional thoughts you might have around the mixtape and very eager to hear about the tape that you chose for this episode. Steve, it's nice to be back here talking about mixtapes again. Uh, one of the most beloved episodes of the All About 80s Music podcast when we first launched was a mixtape that you and I delved into that we each made back in the old days. Steve, mixtapes go all the way back to the 1970s and the early formation of hip-hop. Cassettes were the first truly portable music that was open to everybody, according to Wired Magazine, which put together a great uh, history of the format. Although cassettes were invented in 1963, it wasn't until the 70s and 80s that, that they became really ubiquitous, particularly in the 1980s. Uh, so much so, Steve, that there used to be ads, home taping is killing the music industry. The, the music industry lived in mortal fear of cassettes because they thought they were going to undermine record sales. Turns out that wasn't the case. Everyone kept making gobs and gobs of cash. Cassettes were a cheap and easy way for friends to share music. You know, I remember standing over my cassette deck, fingers poised on the play and record button, meticulously putting together mixtapes, thematically blending songs together. They say, tell me what you read and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me the mixtape you make, Steve, and I'll tell you who you are. Beautifully said. That's beautiful. I'm eager to hear about your mixtape, so actually tell me the title of your mixtape. Steve, I'm going to open up this Maxell C90 cassette for the listeners. It's my Ammer Brit Indie Music Mixtape, a blend of great indie tracks, uh, some that many that flew under the radar upon release but are considered classics, low these many years later. I'm going to start, actually, from one of the first cassettes I ever bought, it's Reckoning by R.E.M., their 1984 sophomore LP. I still have this one. Uh, water got under the cassette card, so it's a little warped, but uh, I brought it out to play the other night and actually still sounds halfway decent to the passage of the years. Uh, that's the thing about the cassette format, because it was so cheap, sometimes those tapes don't always survive well. But it's Seven Chinese Brothers, the second track off of Reckoning. You know, Steve, when, when R.E.M. debuted in 1983, it was like a comet from space. That first album, Murmur, produced by Mitch Easter and Don Dixon, uh, was you know, blended folk, it blended rock, it blended pop for something that was utterly unique at the time. R.E.M. came back in 1984 with fresh off of a round of touring, again, working with Dixon and Easter Reflection Sound Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, coming up with an album that was a lot more raw and a lot more live sounding than the very multi-textured Murmur. All music critic Denise Sullivan described drummer's Bill Berry's drumming on this track as a danceability unfound in most R.E.M. tracks. The lyrics to Seven Chinese Brothers, as with uh, most R.E.M. songs, are mysterious, but it's believed that some of it were influenced by a 1938 children's book called The Five Chinese Brothers by Claire, I'm going to butcher this, Boucher Bishop. 
Um, in the book, five brothers each have a special power, and the brother capable of swallowing the ocean agrees to do so in order that a young boy collect fish from the dry seabed. And in fact, there's a lyric in the song, Seven Chinese Brothers Swallowing the Ocean. What's really fun about this is that a few years later, Steve, um, R.E.M. did a B-side collection called Dead Letter Office, and they released a version of this called The Sound of Herald, um, which is Mike, Michael Stipe kind of sound-checking the track by reciting liner notes from the back of a gospel record that he found lying around the Reflection Studios. Um, and some years later, uh, some R.E.M. fan actually managed to get hold of that record and uh, boasted about it online. It's a great little departure that kind of blows up that serious image that R.E.M. has as uh, Michael Stipe kind of deadpan reads these lyrics. But it's a great track from end to end, a really distinctive guitar line from Peter Buck, a great melodic bass line from Mike Mills that makes the song all sort of uh, knit together. And again, one of my favorites of all time. And that 1984 Reckoning album is so iconic, and it was put out on the IRS label, which in the 80s was synonymous with some of the finest indie pop out there. They had R.E.M., but they had the Go-Go's, they had Wall of Voodoo, they had Fine Young Cannibals. Uh, you know, Peter Buck maybe want to learn how to play guitar, him in the edge. I can't really overstate sort of the impact uh, that R.E.M. Has, uh, has had on me over the years. Steve, your first pick. My mixtape is from 1989, and it's called New Wave Pop. It's actually on a TDK D90 cassette tape, which is black and gray with green accents, I might add. And um, it's pretty. I can, I can see it from here. It's sort of one of the older looking cassette mm -hmm. tapes, but it does have a little green accent orange on the outer paper cover. My first song is The Cure's Fascination Street from their Disintegration album from 1989. I can see why I chose this song first for my mixtape. In my opinion, this song is one of the best Cure songs, and a whole lot of people consider this album, Disintegration, one of the musical masterpieces of the greatest decade. Simon Gallup's got a wonderful bass group happening. Pearl Thompson comes in and lays down a basic guitar track, which then allows this badass lead guitar riff to play over it. This guitar lead is so dark and mean and tastefully nasty and works so well over the bass line and thusly creates this fantastic vibe for the song. Roger O'Donnell just plays a number of keyboard motifs throughout the song. Such great tude, exploring the dark side of New Wave. And if I wanted to go extremely pop, I would have chosen Friday I'm in Love or In Between Days from The Cure, but this is a very special, unique song full of musical hooks and just what I love about a great pop song in general. Yeah, I mean, there's a really symphonic uh, quality to this one. Steve, the 12-inch uh, remix of this, uh, it's got a four-minute extended instrumental intro to it where they vamp with that guitar line and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, that was produced by Robert Smith and Chris Perry and, and Mark Saunders as the 12-inch vinyl and, and the maxi uh, CD single. Of course, they edited it down for radio because you couldn't have a four-minute intro before you got to the meat of the song. But it is really quintessentially one of these sort of like Cure tracks. It's what you think of when you think of, of the Cure, that wash of guitar and, and keyboard and, and moody Robert Smith vocal. It's sort of like the sine qua non of, uh, of 80s goth. And I agree with you, the extended mix, it's off the Mixed Up CD. And yep. that version, that extended version is actually the best version of the song. 
On my mixtape is just the, the album version or the single version, because I think that mixed up CD came out in the 90s. It did, correct. So it was available. But as soon as I heard that extended version, the mix in its entirety is actually the best version of the song. Yeah, we were driving a couple of summers there uh, to Charlotte to visit my daughter uh, where she was studying ballet. So we'd always have Sirius XM's first wave on. And invariably, we would hear this track at least two or three. I mean, it was like a seven or eight hour drive. So we hear this track at, at least two or three times during the course of that drive down the drive back up. And I don't, you know, I'd always listened to it. I'd always been aware of it. But again, Steve, it wasn't really until I heard that 12 inch remix again with that extended instrumental intro that I really sort of came to, you know, I always appreciated Robert Smith's song skills, but this particularly the, with the, with the tightness of the arrangements and the crispness of the playing is really something special. Agreed. What's next on your mixtape? Steven, number two, I'm going to stay uh, with the IRS label and I'm going to go to the guy who produced those REM tracks. I'm talking about Mitch Easter and his band, Let's Active, from their second full-length LP, Big Plans for Everybody. The track is called In Little Ways. It was produced by Easter at his own drive-in studio in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I had a chance some years ago to be lucky enough to hang out with Mitch for a story that I was writing for a newspaper at the time. A consummate Southern gentleman, a great storyteller. Steve, this song for me is one of the great underappreciated indie tracks of the 1980s. There's this fantastic guitar line, really muscular drumming. It's very psychedelic. It's very poppy. Easter's got this wonderfully sort of poppy, new wavy voice, although he was a little bit older than the rest of that generation. One of the great producers of the American underground he produced uh, Teenage Symphonies to God by Velvet Crush. Again, those REM records, he produced Themes from Venus by Love Tractor, a band I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. That band put out um, a brace of really great, really melodic records. And for me, you know, this is where Easter is at his finest as a, as a songwriter and a guitar player. Because again, I've seen the man play, he can shred. It's really something. And this was a very good choice. It's a very indie song, but it's very much a pop song from 1986. And the sound of it seems to me it fit well on MTV's 120 Minutes. There's, uh, there's something really special going on in the American Southeast in the early to middle 1980s with so many great bands bubbling up. And again, Let's Act, it was sort of in the vanguard of that, uh, of that movement. I think IRS really did a great job of finding the best indie bands and putting them out. And MTV blew them up on 120 Minutes. Yeah, very good choice. Steve, what's yours? The second song on my mixtape is from Susie Sue and the Banshees, Cities in the Dust. I can't talk about The Cure unless I talk about Susie as well, because I always considered Susie and Robert Smith sort of male-female equal counterparts in the new wave goth world. And this song is such a great pop track. Although it keeps its new wave flavor by default because it's got Susie's touch on it. If you dive into lyrics, legend has it that it was inspired by the group's trip to Pompeii, Italy. Some say it also draws parallels to thoughts about the Cold War that was happening at the time during the 80s. But for me, it's just a solid track with a strong tune. It was a great hit for Susie and her band, peaking at number 17 in the US. The band performed the song in the 1986 movie Out of Bounds, starring Anthony Michael Hall. And the song also made the soundtrack along with The Smiths, The Cult, Night Ranger, and a number of others, including my buddy Robert Berry, who played in an iteration of ELP in the late 80s. Just an undeniable hit song.
with this song. Yeah, and I mean, this song killed critically upon its release. The New Musical Express praised it as, quote, a massively confident burst of pop, recapturing the one wondrous hypnotic pop of the Banshee's greatest singles era. Let's see, reviewer John Leland said, in a month of good dance rock records, this is the best. It was, it was a, sort of a, a breakthrough moment for them. Steve, it's funny you should mention Robert Smith and Susie Sue in the same breath. In fact, our friend Mr. Smith played guitar in the Banshees from 1982 to 1984 and played in a Banshees offshoot group uh, called The Glove for a little while there. So there were deep ties uh, yeah. between those two bands. It's not only that they're sort of the artistic yin and yang to each other, they are, were in fact longtime artistic collaborators as well. Wow. Never knew that. Never knew that. Fantastic. What's next on your tape, Mysik? Steve, I'm going to, uh, pardon the pun, fast forward. Ha ha. See what I did there? Fast forward a little bit into the 80s to 1986 to Destroy the Heart by the House of Love. Steve, you can't talk about indie pop in the 1980s without talking about the legendary Creation Records label founded by Scotsman Alan McGee. Later on, he would give the world this little band called Oasis that I believe listeners may have heard of, perhaps. But along with the House of Love and Ride and Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine Creation... As was the case with IRS in the United States, Creation was the coolest record label in England for a long time there. And the House of Love, led by Guy Chadwick and guitarist Terry Bickers, was one of those bands. You know, they put together sort of these really lovely, shimmering guitar records like Christine, I Don't Know Why I Love You, I Don't Understand. I They, they never really blew up in any really big or meaningful way, but... They're one of those bands where if you appreciate indie rock of the 1980s out of England, particularly if you pay attention to creation, this is one of the bands that you know about. Uh, House of Love later reformed. I think they're pretty much still a going concern. Again, just a a wonderfully shimmering uh, melodic indie rock record. You are coming strong with the indie songs that have great pop tunes today. I really like this song from 1988. A little echo in the Bunnymen vibe in there. Really dig it. Thank you. What's up for you? I'm going with the Thompson Twins song, If You Were Here, from 1983. As you know, it was from the movie 16 Candles, which was definitive to the decade and sums up perfectly what having a crush on a girl was like in the early 80s. This song was produced by Alex Sadkin, who you know produced Seven and the Ragged Tiger by Duran Duran the same year. It was off the Twins album Quick Step and Sidekick, which also spawned my favorite hit, Lies, and also Love on Your Side. By the way, our friends Brian and Sarah on the Permanent Record Podcast did a very thorough review of Quick Step and Sidekick that's definitely worth a listen. You and I have talked about 1983 and how it was one of the best years for music. And we, we talked about how 1981 through 1983 was sort of when the real 80s culture happened. Um, this is the 80s culture that so many of the kids today are into. 1984 is when it became sort of super saturated into a mega supernova, and 1985 continued that. Then from 1986 to 89, that was when all the squirty polities and the escape clubs and Sly Fox and the Blow Monkeys and 
The outfield and winning room came through and all the sounds started to change and get harder and slowly transitioned into the 90s. But 1983, as we've spoken about before, was a fantastic year in music. It's no surprise that this song sits nicely, not only in the catalog of that year, but also in one of the greatest movies of the greatest decade. And what's funny about this, Steve, is this song only makes the tiniest of appearances in right. 16 Candles as well. It's that, I hate to ruin it for the kids who haven't seen it, but it's at the end of the movie when something very pivotal happens. I'm going to leave it at that. It's only the tiniest, tiniest of snippets. So if you didn't know it was the Thompson Twins, you'd be left wondering, oh my God, what is that song? Which is what a much younger me was needed to find out. And then I went and eventually found out. What's really funny about this song, Steve, is that as popular as it was, it never got a formal release as a single at the time. And now it's attained like quasi mythic status because of its attachment to 16 Candles. So much so, in fact, that a generation later, the ABC TV show, The Goldbergs, did a 16 Candles tribute episode wow. and closed that show in the exact same way as it ends. Again, kids, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to tell you, but go ask mom and dad ended the show in the exact same way as the end of, of the end of 16 candles you know it's a great tune by by joey leeway tom bailey and alana curry that original nucleus of the thompson twins i think tom bailey is the only guy left standing now so they're not even twins they're just kind of thompson i guess but uh you know he's still out there uh, doing his thing and this is just a, a wonderful gem of a uh, of a pop tune with a shimmering synth line that i can hear in the back of my head even as we talk about it oh it's it's a wonderful song what's next mysic all right my friend um i'm returning to uh the united states and i'm returning to the uh, american southeast once again i'm going 1987 cartoon kitties by love tractor off of their lp this ain't no outer spaceship uh, released on big time and uh, rca steve in the early part of the 1980s athens georgia Love Tracker's hometown was ground zero for just about everything cool that was happening in American indie rock. Gave birth to the B-52s at first, followed by R.E.M., followed by Pylon, followed by Love Tractor, the Method Actors, OOK, a host of amazing bands, and later on the Kindercore bands and uh, Elephant Sick bands after that. Something really fertile about this uh, college town that mostly goes football crazy because it's home of the University of Georgia. I've made a couple of pilgrimages to Athens over the years, one in the company of RM manager Burtis Downs, which was a particular privilege, and he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Love Tractor started out, Steve, as an all-instrumental band. The joke was they couldn't afford a microphone, so they just ended up playing instrumentals. But gradually, uh, the band made up of uh, Armistead Welford and Mark Klein and Mike Rich they branched out and they started adding vocals with their second album around the bend this ain't no outer spaceship took them on a really pop turn with some great danceable indie pop indie rock music and this one soundtracked for me the summer of 1997 as i was moving to uh moving to washington dc i lucked into a vinyl copy of the album dubbed it down to cassette as i was driving across the country and this song and this record just sounds like that sweaty hot summer to me all these tracks that you're coming with today are definitely worth checking out to get a good sense of the indie sound of the 80s just another winner all right my friend your next pick so here's a band that you and I spoke about during our very first conversation together when we originally met. It's Echo and the Bunnymen's 
Bedbugs and Ballyhoo from 1987. You know, Isaac, so much of New Wave is synth-based, but I love the fact that this is a band that is more focused around guitars than keyboards. One of the most prolific New Wave bands of the early 80s, known for hits like Lips Like Sugar and their big anthem Killing Moon. Fronted by Ian McCulloch, famous for his early 80s hair, which was long in the front but short in the back, very similar to Robert Smith's do. And he's also known for his low goth droning voice. Their catalog was so extremely strong throughout the 80s, even into the 90s. And this one is one of my favorites. It also houses the iconic new wave phrase, that's where the bee bumbles. And there's a live version of the song, which to me is the best version of the song. Ian said in an interview with Song Facts that the lyric is really just a series of images for the sake of wordplay. He said, quote unquote, I don't even know how the hell I made that crap up. And uh, he refers to the song as gibberish and genius. And I agree with him. The lyrics really don't mean anything, but it's just a play on words. And the track boasts a memorable baseline from Les Patterson, who is responsible for so many of those standout bass lines and echo songs. There are many songs that I love from Echo and the Bunnymen, but if I if I only had to pick one music, this would be it. It's no wonder that it made it onto my mixtape, you know, 40 some years ago. Yeah, Steve, that classic Bunnyman lineup of McCulloch guitarist both Sergeant Patterson and the late Pete DeFridis on drums was really something special. Um, if you see live footage of them from back in the day, they could be just amazing together on stage and you know in my old band the tom interprets if we want to get it if we want to get the crowd on their feet we played lips like sugar and people were shouting and hooting along by the end of it uh, this song was first released steve as the b-side of the 12-inch version of bring on the dancing horses uh it was re-recorded in 1987 for that autonomous lp the b-side of this one is over you uh, they also have others, a live version of uh, Lou Reed's Run, 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 Run. One of those, again, one of those essential bands of the mid 1980s, early to middle 1980s, coming out of Liverpool, England, which, again, it was such a fertile place for music in so many ways. So what's your fifth song on the mixtape? Steve, before we turn to side two uh, and continue this conversation, my fifth track, um, staying once again in the American Southeast, a spy in the house of love from North Carolina's own The DBs from their third, let me do my math correctly, yes, I'm doing math correctly, from their third LP like this, released on uh, Bearsville Records, just by one of these records, unfortunately, that fell prey to bad distribution and the bad luck that some bands sometimes run into when your record label goes belly up right after the record is released. Um, just Steve, Peter Holzapple, the lead singer and guitarist and lead songwriter in the DBs, is one of the great American songwriters of his generation. Hooky smart, melodic, also a hell of a nice guy. I can attest to that personally. And this is just a great record from end to end. Amazing guitar playing from Gene Holder, really strong drumming from Will Rigby, a good friend of mine, Mark Tomio, who I've played with over the years, actually plays pedal steel guitar on one track on this album as well. Uh, so it feels kind of like family to me. And if you can track this record now, it's absolutely worth your time. I feel like the DBs, one of those recurring bands on this podcast uh, many times so far. You love the DBs. They're, they're deeply special to me. Deeply, deeply special. And this is a nice choice for your mixtape. It, it seems like you're really going pop indie with a lot of these tunes. This is, this is a really good one from them. Um, there's, there's a really nice cowbell break 
in there in the middle mm -hmm. section and sort of a drum tom pattern kind of reminiscent of the Slade song from the same year. Yep. Uh, the, the 12 inch remix of this is a lot of fun and you'll be dancing your backside off to it um, in a hot minute, I guarantee you. <laughs> cool. So my fifth song before we flip the tape over and talk about side B is New Order Subculture from 1985. And Mysic, here we are talking about New Order again. This track was off their album, Low Life, and it has goth overtones starting with an eerie harpsichord introduction, similar to what you'd hear going into a haunted house at an amusement park. Then the signature New Order drums and octave bass line kick in, followed by Hookie's bass line on top of that. As dark as it is, it's really got a memorable chorus, and I like it because it embodies what fans truly love about New Order and has overtones of the whole post-punk goth new wave movement of the 80s. And it's a track like Shell Shock, you, you know, like a song that is fantastic, but we don't really talk about it enough because when it comes to this band, everybody's always talking about Temptation and Blue Monday and True Faith and all their other radio hits. So it kind of gets pushed on the back burner along with Shell Shock and some of the other great songs from the band. But I wanted to shine the spotlight on the song because it's really perfect to round out some of more of the, the pop tracks on this cassette tape. Yeah, I mean, Steve, obviously New Order are one of the great dance pop outfits of the last 40 years, but you bring up sort of the darkness of subculture. And that's when you have to remember that they still had the DNA of Joy Division coursing through them. So for every bizarre love triangle or for every true faith, there were these sort of more off kilter moments as well, because that is, you know, that is still what they came for. I'm reminded of that great meme that makes the rounds of uh, Ali Sheedy before and after in Breakfast Club before is Joy Division and after is New Order. But, you know, they still have they still have those moments within them when that when that Joy Division DNA uh, peaks right out. That's a really good point. All through their career, you could still hear the Joy Division come out. They play Joy Division tracks now in uh, in concert. It's it's part of uh, it's part of who they uh, who they are. Awesome. So, Mysic, now that we've done five songs each from our mixtape, I'm interested to hear the rest of the songs on your mixtape. What do you yeah, got? I'm quick, I'm going to quickly run through this. A great new romantic track, Steve. Uh, from I think it's I think we're still in the '80s with this "Fade to Gray" from Visage. Oh yeah. Steve Strange and Rusty Egan uh, were part of the movement uh, that helped that gave birth to uh, helming the Blitz Club in Covent Garden in uh, 1980. Midjour uh, from Ultravox on this track as well. A studio only band, but again, one, one of the essential documents of the new romantic era. Tell Me When It's Over by the Dream Syndicate, uh, an essential document of the Paisley Underground in Los Angeles in 1980 from their debut LP, The Days of Wine and Roses. Uh, Steve Wynn coming in like a banshee, kind of combining the, the fiery guitar work of Neil Young and the mood of the Velvet Underground. A really nice guy, an incredible tune from end to end. A Good Heart by Fiergal Sharkey, the former lead singer of The Undertones from his debut album, self-titled debut album in 1985, produced by Dave Stewart of The Rhythmics. I'm going to go with 88 Lines by 44, oh, about 44 yeah. Women by The Nails. Um, listeners know that if they know this one, then if you know, you know, listeners, <laughs> if you know, you know. Beautiful song. 
And I will end um, again on I, on the IRS label, Steve. We go back to the be- we go back to the beginning. I'm like Inigo Montoya. I go back to the beginning. Uh, it's just friends by Beat Rodeo, uh, helmed by the amazing Steve Almas. A great piece of sort of cow punk, cow pop. Remember, you'll remember Steve that sort of the '80s had that sort of tinge to it with Jason and the Scorchers and Green on Red and Lone Justice. There's sort of these great country pop, country rock bands. Beat Rodeo, uh, staying out late from. Beat Rodeo was their debut album. This song is the lead track. Steve Almas has got the, for a Minnesotan, no less, has got this wonderful <laughs> twangy vocal worth tracking down. So that is uh, side two of my cassette. That That is a very impressive cassette. Great songs on there. That's, With that's- that, I'm going to uh, close the lid and send it over to you. <laughs> awesome. All right, the rest of the songs on my cassette tape, New Wave Pop, Bolshoi's Away, Strawberry Switchblades, Let Her Go, Duran Duran, a B-side from early 80s, Faster Than Light, Depeche Mode, an early song, Pretty Boy, remember that? P- I do, I do. Double T-Y, <laughs> Heaven 17's Let Me Go, uh, The Smiths. Whoa, good one. The Smiths, Hairdresser on Fire, Crash by The Primitives, remember I that track? I do. Jane's Getting Serious, one we can all agree on, by John Astley. And, of course, Adamant's Desperate, but not Serious. Serious. Um, and, and two ones that are sort of on the fringe here, Russian Radio by Red Flag. Ooh, that's, nice. Yeah, that's, that's a deep-hitting Well one. done, well done. And that's sort of in the indie category. And, and one uh, really goth new wave pop song, The Great Commandment by Camouflage. Nice. There it is. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm John. Like, share, subscribe. Send us your 80s mixtapes. You want to know what you're listening to? It was burning up your cassette deck in 1983, 1984. Uh, Again, we've got a big 2024 ahead, and we'll be back here very, very soon. And this is Steve saying, until next time, keep it cool, keep it awesome, and keep it totally rad.